My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today as co-host is my husband, Pat Francis. Hello, Pat. Hello, hello. How's it going? How do, how do the wavy lines look? Does it look like we're on? Yeah, I have the wavy lines onto the audio feed that we're going to be doing today to make sure that that records. Ah, okay. Yes, because we're doing a very special podcast. This is a listener participation podcast, and I will explain what I mean by that in a moment. But first, we have an update. Okay? We have an update. What kind of an update? Coronavirus? No. No. I don't want any more coronavirus updates. Needless to say, we are, yes, in our, we're upstairs in our house. It's me and Pat. You guys know the drill. You're, you're all locked inside too. There is nothing new to say there. But I have something new to say elsewhere. Because even in the middle of this money drought that everybody is experiencing, mm-hmm. all the hell that it's experiencing, $20 million, $20 million, that is how much Netflix paid. <laughs> for The Starling. If you guys remember um, a couple of episodes ago, episode 633, maybe not a couple, just maybe like it was actually in 2019, uh, Matt Harris was on to talk about his 17-year journey with The Starling, which is a script you've heard me talk about. If you're a podcast fan, you've heard me talk about for the 12 years that I have had this podcast. He was actually on episode number two, I believe, because I was... You know, Matt is a, a student of mine. He workshopped that that script in uh, a private writing group that I ran, and um, I loved that script. And so I've been talking about it for twelve years. Um, even episode three hundred in two thousand thirteen, I was actually going to produce the damn thing, which is kind of funny because I'm not a producer, and. It turned out I was really terrible at it. It took me like a month to figure that one out. Like, I hate producing and I'm bad at it. So I did not produce it. Um, at $20 million, maybe I'm having a little bit of regret. But here's the deal. Netflix, two days ago, it was in Deadline, I think. I don't know. I was wondering if you can even, if you're allowed to give this uh, yeah, information yeah, yeah. It out. Yeah, it was in Deadline. That based on the script, people, the script and a four-minute promo. That's it. Just an extended trailer. It was bought for $20 million. Now, the movie has Melissa McCarthy, Kevin Kline. Uh, who else is in the movie? Um, Chris O'Dowd. Yes, Chris O'Dowd. And the guy I have a crush on, but I'm looking at you, so I'm blanking on his name. Oh, oh, Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant, right, exactly. Yeah. So, so it has a great cast. It has been made, but they didn't see the movie because the movie hasn't been completely all, you know, all the bells and whistles aren't on it, you know, 
in post. So they saw the script, the four minute promo, and they bought it for twenty million dollars. I didn't even know that Netflix had twenty million dollars oh, yeah. per. I mean, like per project. Well, yeah, they can pay that much because they're looking for their next uh, movie to put up uh, for an Oscar. Oscars. Yeah. Oscars. So they're they're that's what they're looking for. Yeah, yes. they have that money. Yes. Matt Harris, if I'm not in your speech, there will be hell to pay. So, and yes. That $20 million and he's been waiting 17 years. It's like a, it's a million dollars a year. Years. It's great. But he doesn't get that money. That's They paid that right. for, just so people know, that's that's what Netflix paid for the rights to run the movie. It'll, it'll be in theaters for two weeks, and then it'll be ex- uh, available exclusively on Netflix. That's usually how it goes. Yes. So. Yes, and it is directed by Ted Melfi, who did Hidden Figures mm-hmm. and did Saint Vincent. So anyway, that is the update on that. Congratulations to yep. Matt. It's happening. It's a thing. Also, I have another update. Nadia Madden, who was on episode four eighty one in two thousand sixteen, as my most impride. I can't even talk. As my most improved writer of the year. Uh, just got staffed on the show 911. And you can already see her name on the two part finale episode that just aired. So if you're a 911 fan, uh, Nadia Madden, she was a co writer on the two part finale episode of 911. So, yes, indeed, she was most improved. So, congratulations, Nadia. Yay, Nadia. Yay. So, there's our little update. But now let's go to what the listener participation part of this is. Yeah, what, is, what exactly is happening? <laughs> What's going on? You sent me a bunch of files and said, produce these. I know, I know. I was like, what? Yeah. So, um, you know, because, because we're doing things a little bit differently and we're going to have Zoom podcasts and all that, um, I actually stole an idea that Pat was doing with his listeners where he was asking them to send in audio clips. So I asked uh, some of my listeners to send in audio clips of the movie or TV show that is getting them through this lockdown. What, like during this time, what is the movie or TV show that is getting, us, getting them through the quarantine period? Yes. Yes. Hmm. And we got some interesting responses. Yeah, contagion, virus, <laughs> uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, nobody said that stuff. Uh, World War Z, I Am Legend. Like nobody actually watches that kind of stuff. But as you know from what I read all the time, mm-hmm. I still read post-apocalyptic things all I, the time. I've only been watching horror films since we've been in lockdown. Yeah, there's, it's like, I don't know, there's something, you just watch what makes you feel better. I'm mm-hmm. reading post-apocalyptic novels a lot because for some reason, it makes me feel like I'm in control. Like as people are doing things to <laughs> to deal, I'm like, okay, well, if that came up, what would I do? You know, for some well, reason, it makes me I feel better. I can tell you that you're not in control because <laughs> those novels do not help you to get a good night's sleep. That's true. I am off... Uh, I yeah. have a, I have a hard time sleeping. Yeah, so you need to read something a little lighter. Well, we should probably get to what the uh, listener examples were, and then I think we have some things that we can talk about too. So we may do a little chatting in between as well. Yeah. So uh, let's go to the first one. I'm just going to let Pat pick. Well, I can just do them in the order that they came in. I mean, okay. that seems to be fair. It does seem to be fair. Uh, now, everyone introduces themselves, so I don't need to introduce you them. You don't. No. All Here right. we go. I'm just going to turn this up, and I'm going to click play. 
see what happens. Hey, Pilar, this is Tony Gapastone. I am up in Redwood City, California. That's the San Francisco Bay Area. And during quarantine, I got back into Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I had only got through season one and two uh, last year at some point and never got around to finishing it because I had to pay for it. So during quarantine, I decided to pay for it, get the HBO subscription, and I'm really digging it. I'm loving it because I'm writing my own a half-hour comedy scripted series, and I'm learning a lot about this ensemble piece because I'm also writing a workplace comedy that has a lot of interesting and quirky characters just like this. I love Tony Hale and the whole ensemble, and there's a lot. There's over eight or nine people that are constantly talking on screen, so I'm also reading the scripts while I'm watching the show. So I'm learning just how they set that up, how they talk, how they are intercutting and interrupting and cutting each other off. And that's really helpful for me to know how to set up my scripts. But one thing that I'm also really learning from as a writer is how to bring interesting characters to the screen that aren't always quote unquote likable, right? We always hear that you have to have likable characters. And this is a great example that not every character is the nice straight person or the person everybody likes. In fact, some of these characters are downright rude and mean and have really extreme expressions of their personality. And I think I identify with them in so many ways, maybe because I am at the end of my rope here in quarantine, but I'm really engaged with this show. And I love the permission that we have to create characters that bring the audience in and aren't always the expected nice girl or nice guy. So that's what I'm doing on quarantine. Thanks for asking. Well, wow. Look at that production he put in. Like, I did not put that music on. That was him. Yes. He put on the theme song to Veep and he had some Excellent points. I love that he's actually reading the scripts as he's watching them. That is some some active watching right there. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we're just watching things just to take us away. But if he's trying to figure out, like, how does he how do they make the jokes work? And how does everybody talk at, on, at one time? And, you know, how did the, the script create that pace? That's a really good way to do it. And that's one of your favorite shows because you love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I love everything she does. She is the best. And Veep had the best clothes. The best yeah. clothes. I actually... Not on the dudes. Not on the dudes, <laughs> but on her. I actually went online to try and find like where Selena Myers, I think that's her, the character's name, right, right. Like, like where she shops. Like how... <laughs> How can I get those dresses? So what did you Google, like Veep dresses? I did. I did. And See, I, and I, you know what I got? I got a lot of like vice president, first lady kind of dresses. This yeah. is not what I was looking that for. That would explain that Barbara Bush dress you had on earlier today. <laughs> it's not a good look on you. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, my hair's getting like that too in this mm. quarantine. Lovely. See, I think you have to start out at the bottom in order to find this dress. You have to first Google uh, Selena Meyer's nude oh, and then you work your way up no no and pat you're i'm not putting you on that assignment so don't even ask right. i think you should go to the next example let go me ahead. clear my cash oh. <laughs> all right and again I'm, I'm not introducing these people first of all i, I don't know that i could pronounce some yeah. some of their last names let's, 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 so let's, we'll just let, let them, them do it themselves yeah it's more fun that way mm-hmm. by the way tony's music scared me <laughs> when it came on, I, I, I like was like what? What's happening? Jolted. I did. That yeah, was very he scary. has the best voice, though. He should have his very own good. podcast. Let's not get any more people in the podcast. <laughs> Enough competition. Here we go. 
Hi, I'm Nikki from Long Beach, and the show that's getting me through the quarantine is Briar Patch, uh, starring Rosario Dawson. Um, it is such a weird, such a weird show. Um, the characters are rich, they have depth, their backstories, you can tell the homework was done to make them um, interesting. I mean, the main character's name is Allegra Dill. They call her Pickle. And now they call her Pick because of something she did when she was a kid. And I mean, it's just like odd little references and elements that they put in there. Um, the plot is her sister was murdered and she wants to find out how and why. And um, that seems like the plot of every show. But what happens in this small town um, gets bigger as it goes. But there's also this subplot with a, a zoo breakout which is really weird, but and there's animals everywhere, but it somehow um, fits in with the other plot line. And it's, it's such a left-of-center show, and it's a really good study on character study and um, character building and just building this little town that this woman escaped from and her, the character elements that she has um, where she doesn't smoke, but she carries around cigarettes and... You know that there's it's such a good, good uh, study on how to build characters and give them those real nuance elements that make them real and and let them lift them off the page and let them live and breathe. So you know that's why I like it. It's 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 a really really odd show, but it's really really cool. Love that briar, briar patch. patch. Now, see, we're gonna have to check that out. Yeah, but that's what's so great about doing this is that, like, we need a list of new shows. So this was a real, uh, a real big way to cheat. For when me. are we gonna find time to watch these? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, we're just go 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 here. We're not. We, we're not gonna be able to watch anything new. <laughs> briar patch. But I also like what she said about this this subplot that comes through. And somehow connects because a zoo breakout when you're talking about a murder mystery has got to have sort of symbolic elements to it mm-hmm. thematically, you know, of, you know, wild animals running free while you're trying to catch a murderer, you know, all those kind of things. It really makes me want to see another murder show. Well, you know, like, well, like with everything, you watch the first one and if it gets you, then you keep going. Well, that's you. I think most people watch the first three. I watch the first three minutes of a show, and if it doesn't hook me, I'm done. Pat is a tough crowd. We have a we have a little thing that we that we bicker about, which is he'll watch the first one. He'll be like, "I'm done," and I, then somehow, uh, for some reason, like maybe I'll I'll keep watching it, like when Pat's asleep one night, and then I'll be like, "Pat, you have to watch this," and then he finally watches it and he gets completely addicted and he forgot that he hated. He hated it the first time. And I tell Pilar she's a li- she's a liar. I never said that. Game of Thrones. Oh, I hated it at first. Hated it every time it was on. You're like, what is this? And then I was oh, like, this is shit. just the Hobbit with nudity. <laughs> Wait a minute, the Hobbit with nudity. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so Briar Patch, we'll put that on the list. Briar right? Patch. Okay. All right. How do we find it? Do we just type it in our Fire Stick? <laughs> Yes, honey. Why are we still paying for DirecTV? Yeah, I, well, you tell me that. I've been telling you we had to unplug forever. It's the kid. It's the youngest one that won't let us give it up. She won't know. 
all the things she records off DirecTV, she can find on, on the Fire Stick. But we're afraid to do it right now because if something happens and the TV goes kaflooey. That's true. We will all kill each other. Yeah, so we, we can't do it now. literally kill and but as, eat each as other. as soon as we're able to yeah, as long, get as out as of the house. Let us out of our cage, yes. Then, I'm gonna, then DirecTV's done. Done. So the last time I tried to pull the plug... They're like, what if we, I mean, the bill was like over a hundred dollars. Like, what if we give it to you for 59 for the year? And I'm like, oh, that's such a good deal. You know what? By the end of all this, we're going to be selling the TVs. We're going to be like, here. (laughs) How? Why? (laughs) Because, because we're going to be here for a long time. The economy is going to tank and then we're not going to have any money. We need our TV. (laughs) Let's keep going. (laughs) In the post-apocalyptic novels, they do not have television anymore. They don't sell them. <laughs> All right, you ready for the next one? Yes. Here we go. Hi, uh, I'm Steve O'Dockerson. I live in St. Pete, Florida. And uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Night at the Opera. It's a Marx Brothers movie. It's uh, the first one that they did without Zeppo. Uh, it was directed by Sam Wood. It came out in 1935. And it is not their best movie. Um, it's one of their classics. Everyone, it's probably one of their, you know, most well-known ones. Uh, but, and I almost was going to talk about a day at the races. Uh, well, I'll I'll, I'll 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 talk about both in just just a little way. So the reason I want to talk about them and the reason I've been watching them is because I wanted to watch something that wouldn't remind me of what's going on right now. I wanted a nice escape, something safe, and something that still holds up. It's one of those things that I can watch over and over again, and for me, uh, Marx Brothers seemed as good a place as any. Um, What I realized when I was watching this is, uh, A Night at the Opera, is that, yeah, 1935 is when it came out. Um... Uh, things were not going well back then either uh, in the world. Uh, so it's it's nice to watch something where knowing a little bit more about the context and more about how uh, life was so much different back then and that, you know, I know the opera's still around and I know, like, my, my wife sings... Uh, in a in a classical choir with an orchestra, and when I go there, I'm one of I don't know uh, about a dozen or so people who are around my age. But it's uh, it's it's a step back in time, which is uh, which is what I wanted, which is what I needed uh, as as kind of a an escape. Uh, and when I watch it, you know the comedy still holds up. It's it's evergreen. Um, more or less. I mean, there's there's some dated references and dated tropes and a lot of stuff like that. But you can still watch it. You can still laugh at it, and uh, and it holds up. And uh, I wanted to watch something that, again, like I said, uh, was evergreen uh, because if uh, and and this goes with you know when I'm writing something or if I'm. Uh, like I, I do a lot of uh, other comedy. If I'm, if there's too many dated references, it's always going to remind you about this particular time. And if we focus too much on that, 
20 years from now, that's, uh, that's all it's going to be remembered for. Um, this is going about now, we're about, about three minutes or so. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really helped me out. It's getting me through it. And, um, yeah, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Thanks, Steve-O. <laughs> Steve-O is also a rock-solid listener. Yeah, he's one of my uh, listeners, one of my friends. And um, I guess what he's trying to say is you can you can uh, watch some of these old classics, you know, that will take your mind off of, off of what's happening right now. Maybe that's why I've been watching these Hammer horror films. Oh, they take yeah, me- you've been watching them like they're going out of style. You should tell everybody about them. Well, I'm watching Hammer horror films. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them, Peter, tell everybody I, what they're like. What I love. I just, I just love the Peter uh, Cushing and the Christopher Lee, and I just love these Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy. I love these movies, and Pilar does not like them at all. Pilar does not enjoy them, no. not at all. No. And I try to tell her, I go, look at the costume design, look at the sets, look at. I go, they're taking it totally serious. The uh, the acting's good, and no, the acting is the not. Acting good. is so good. It is so. Campy. Oh, it is so good. It is the campy. Yes. How dare you? <laughs> Are you kidding me? But these were made in the in the fifties and sixties, and you know, and I just I just love them. I just think they're so good. Well, I have yeah. another client that I I super respect who um, Nick Smith. That's you. Uh, who also is doing a Hammer horror. Uh, marathon at the same time a binge yes and so there must be something about them for sure well they're great um, to to me it all looks like uh things we do in the shadows it all looks like that, that. which is a, which is a great show to which watch is a great show if, is it things we do in the shadows or what we do in the shadows i think it's what we do in the what shadows. we do in the shadows anyway yes it is great and go, back to the marx brothers stuff have mm-hmm. you ever watched marx brothers because that actually seems like something you'd be really into now see here's the deal what I, uh, when I was a kid, Harpo Marx scared me. That's so weird. Cause I was going to say Harp, Harpo Marx kind of reminds me of you. So maybe you were, you were afraid of one part of your personality. Well, okay. First of all, Harpo Marx doesn't talk and I talk way too much. That's true. So but that's you're like a mixture different. of Groucho and Harpo because Harpo has that sort of like delightfully mm-hmm. playful little boy physical comedy he's, thing. He's creepy. I just, his face is creepy. <laughs> I just find him to be really creepy. I think if you watched it now, you'd, he's, Steve is absolutely right. The comedy is evergreen. Mm-hmm. I also like what he said about that, you know, you now look at it in the context of, you know, that it was, you know, in 1935, you know, right. the, the backdrop of what was going on. And, and people are worried right now about like, what do they write next? And or or the thing that they wrote before the coronavirus, um, will it still hold up? And it is true. We are going to look at certain things through a different lens now. Mm -hmm. But instead of deciding that you can't send out that project, you can look at it and go, okay, what does the context of now, what does that do to the story? And do I lean into that a little bit? Right. You know, um, do I change a few elements to be like, okay, yes, it's in a post-coronavirus world. So it is interesting, I think, what he said about about the Marx Brothers. Like, you look at it now through a possible different lens. But I wonder what their funny. I wonder what their um, most famous movie is. Is it Duck Soup? I don't know. I'll have to find that because if I'm going to watch one, I want to watch the one that's the best. Well, ask Steve-O. He could probably tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Huh. Let's move on. Are you ready? Yeah. I hope I don't get scared when the person starts to talk. I keep getting scared every time. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, my name is Naya Smith, and I am a transplant to the Los Angeles area from North Carolina. Um, I actually am in North Carolina now in quarantine and lockdown, um, which has presented a very beautiful opportunity amongst everything else to be able to read and write and uh, watch, which has been really good. So um, one of the things that I, one of the shows that I've loved um, in the past week or so has been a Hulu original um, called Little Fires Everywhere, which ironically, I didn't really understand the title of it until about the third episode. Um, and it really like clicked and I was like, like, okay, this is deep. Um, so a little bit about the show. Um, it's about two mothers, essentially, and kind of um, the things that each go through and they kind of mirror each other in a way. Um, one thing that I love about it and one thing that really stands out the most in the beginning of it is that they use the flashback element. Um, as a young writer, that really shows me how to use that element and be able to build your story off of that. Um, that was one of like the distinct things I really that really caught my attention as a viewer. Um, I really love that. And then they really explore these two mothers really deeply um, in ways that I feel like it's not only relatable, but you're able to connect with each character and, you know, even see yourself in some of them. Um, and I think that's really what writing is, is all about. And something that I'm super passionate about is making sure that my characters, um, are reflective of things that are written from a place of realness and authenticity um, so that people can identify with them and see themselves in it. And that's really what this show does. Um, it produces so many different elements and so many different things to look at and it's so deep and it's so intriguing and they leave so many things left unsaid um, that keep you like glued to the screen. So um, absolutely recommend it. Absolutely love it. Um, and I've probably watched every episode four times or so. Wow. So definitely uh, recommend this show. Wow, four times. And we've been we've been binging it too. It's great. And the the last episode of of what could be the first season or could be a series finale, it was we're kind of unsure if it if it'll be come back, right? They what do you do, think? They conclude everything. They do. They, they wrap conclude, up everything. But we were imagining what the second season might be based on where all the characters yes. are. But it is very well well tied up. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about it is that it does this wonderful thing. American Beauty did, did this too, of saying, look, there is a crime. This is the crime up front. And then, and you kind of think you know right up front who, who did it. Right. But the whole season is about showing the story of every character and you come to realize by the finale that everyone is a suspect. Everyone has a motive. Everybody has a motive. So you really have no idea who did this by the end. And it's yeah. so it's very satisfying when you when you do find out. Yeah, because we didn't figure it out. Nope. Nope. We didn't figure it out till right like a second before it was gonna happen. We're like, oh Yeah. So uh and and the whole all the episodes now are on Hulu. So you can binge it now. Yes. Like Hulu releases an episode a week, but then once it's there, it stays there. So I think we started after three episodes were already up. Yeah. So we binged three and then we were like, is there a four? What? Oh no. So we've been watching it weekly, but it's, um, this show there sometimes in a, in a, in a, 
in a limited run series, eight episodes, 10 episodes, they'll be like that episode seven or eight, where is like- Where they're just talking to each other. Nothing's really happening. This show, something happens every episode. Like the episodes move. I mean, it's really, I mean- I, I just I really loved it. I really loved it. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. It, there's it a kind of a soapy element, soapy to, element but to you it. Just, and you just it. indulge. Yeah, it's it's you know, but it's great. Um, can I can I name drop? Because you know I do that every time that the credits come up, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to do that. So Liz Tigalar, if you see that name, um, and you will see it on every single episode, mm-hmm. she's one of the executive producers, is also a former on the page student. Thank you very much. Now, when she came into class, she was already show running a show a couple years back. But since then, she has just been like one show after another. So I just put out a letter to her saying, Liz, come back on the show. Come so back you on can- the show, Liz. You can talk to us, uh, but yes, very happy she was in class. Now, can I name drop on this show also? Yeah, yeah. Carrie Washington, my new TV crush. <laughs> well, you know, my brother, mm-hmm. my brother is always comparing me to Carrie Washington. Right. My brother and my so so I'm gonna go with that crush because. Well, here's the because game. then I think maybe you still like me if and I my was, type. If, if I was married to Carrie Washington, then Pilar Alessandro would be my new TV crush. Got it. Got it. See? Yeah. I think actually the reason he compared me is because I um, tend to uh, overreact to things. So hmm. I think that was actually why. I don't think it was actually my looks. I think it was... It was always talking like this. The acting's very intense. Very. Mm. So anyway, um, next we're gonna move on. Okay, here yes. we go. I I hope I'll put her. We'll put her on the list, honey. For what? <laughs> oh. Hello, I'm Carlos Gomez. I'm hunkered down inside my blanket fort in a secret location in West Los Angeles, trying my best to avoid the resurgence of Bieber fever that has stricken the land. Oh yeah, they didn't tell you. That's out there now, too. No, what else they probably didn't tell you? They probably didn't tell you about the fact that every Monday through Friday night, starting at 10 p.m., there's three hours of Golden Girls, followed by, at 1 a.m., three hours of Frasier. Six hours. Five nights a week. Is this part of the stimulus? I don't know how that works. I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, Golden Girls... If you don't know, it's a show about four mature women who live together in Miami and experience the joys and angst of their golden years. Strong-willed Dorothy, Spacey Rose, lusty Southern Belle Blanche, and Matriarch Sophia, Dorothy's mom, occasionally clash, but are there for one another in the end. And Frasier, which is a spinoff of Cheers, it's about Dr. Frasier Crane, a successful uh, Boston therapist who moves to Seattle to get a new start in life. He has a radio talk show, which he uses to relay his wit and wisdom to others, but at times he struggles with his own problems with the salt of the earth, Father Martin, his pretentious brother Niles, and his friends and co-workers. Now, both shows are... uh, uh, multi-cams, multi-half-hour uh, uh, sitcoms, and I know that uh, the multi-cam sitcom isn't as in vogue right now as, say, an animated or a single-cam show, but I'll catch these most nights and be just astounded by how much comedy gets done in, like, the same location for so many seasons. Frasier uh, mostly takes place in three locations, while Golden Girls takes place in a living room and a kitchen, for the most part. So much is done in so little space and with not that many actors. 
the pacing on Frasier, I'm, I'm such a fan of. Uh, every episode will start quietly with some gentle piano, and the story will start gently. And then by the time we get to the third act... Uh, the comedy, it's just so rapid-fire and slapsticky to the point where, like, the Crane brothers in the show have will become the Marx brothers. Uh, and Girls and Girls is just downright racy. You, I mean, racy. You would not believe that a mid-'80s uh, primetime network show could be as racy as, say, Sex in the City. I mean, just the other night, I was watching an episode where it ended with the ladies at a sperm bank, and before she leaves, Sophia asks a doctor, hey, do you have any uh, samples of Tony Bennett lying around? I mean, what's an 80-year-old Sophia going to do with, uh, with some Tony Bennett issue? I have no clue. Uh, so both are uh, examples of like the best in multicam sitcoms. Or better yet, the golden standard. <laughs> All right, I know. I'll, I'll show myself out. Carlos, you are such a dork. <laughs> oh, my God. But, but he makes a, a great argument for both of those shows. And, and he makes such a good argument for the fact that if you're stuck on, on sets, yeah. you know, those jokes have got to be spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's all about the writing. So, and also how interesting that we had some Marx Brothers overlap so, yeah, there. Brought yeah. it back around to the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Now, you and I, we watched Frasier. We, I think we watched uh, that regularly when it was on. Yes. Yes, but, we are of that generation. But I have, I have not seen one second of the Golden Girls, unless it was on like a clip show or something. I've never seen an episode of the Golden Girls. You would Girls. love it. You would love it. It's really funny. Seems like it's for my grandmother. No, no. No. It's very it's very good. Like the 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 patter is great. The characters are great. He's right. It's really blue in places. It's a, it's a lot of fun. You'd love you'd dig it. And then because you would like it, you I'll would watch, watch all it. of it. Yes. How many seasons are there? I don't 13. know. I guess I should break 200 myself. episodes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. go. Start at se- episode 1, season 1. <laughs> okay. We'll binge it. When are we going to find time? <laughs> Carlos, thank you. Okay, we're moving on. All right, here we go. And again, I, I get scared every time these people start to talk. It kind of makes me jump. <laughs> it does, I'm startled. Hold on, here we go. Hey, Pilar, it's Carolyn Cameron, and I'm from British Columbia, Canada. And um, my favorite movies, there are a set of movies, and it's called The Trip, and The Trip to Spain, The Trip to Italy. And there's one coming out, The Trip to Greece, and it's about these two guys who are actors and go to a bunch of restaurants to write reviews. But in the process, they try to outdo each other. This is one of my most favorite scenes where they try and outdo each other with a James Bond imitation. Tom, Mr. Bond, you drive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Okay, Mr. Bond, do you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do? I'm saying that bit. All right, no, I'm just saying, just don't, a caricature, turn it real. Shut up, don't tell me how to act. Well, I bloody should do. Why? Because sometimes you tend to sort of, you know, crank it up a bit. Yeah, but you are widely regarded as the king of understatement. Right, I'll do like this. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much of... Come, come, Mr. Bond. Try get the lines right. All right. As as a rule, it's more effective if you you don't fluff the line. Okay, but I'll deliver with a nice bit of understatement. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Oh. Was the all right, okay, all right, this, this is it. So, come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Yeah. No, you went up at the end, like you, yes. like you watch Australia. you see what I did on my face? Come, come, Mr. Bond, you get just as much pleasure from killing as 
I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You derive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. When I kill, I kill for queen and country. Though I admit, killing you, oh dear, oh dear. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You derive just as much Sorry. You derive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. <laughs> They've now got the rule of sevens just like yes. you do. Oh, I love it. Now, those two actors are Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Bryden, who's also a comedian. These movies are just hysterical. They but are. but but I can understand why it wouldn't be for everyone. You really have to get into these two guys. Like one is very self-centered and egotistical, and the other guy, he has he's got a wife and kids and a family, and the the you know, they're 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 opposites big time. But they, but, but they, they, but they, but get they, each other. but they get each other, and they, they enjoy spending time with each other, and they enjoy the one upsmanship is what just cracks me up. They're always trying to outdo the other one when it comes to impressions and voices, and yeah, I really like these uh, these movies. I think she's right, though. It is the perfect coronavirus getaway because mm-hmm. you're just watching these people go to these amazing hotels, eat these incredible meals, in you know. The European countryside, wherever they happen to be, right. and and then just amuse the hell out of each other, and in the process, you're amused, and there's just something like you're just sort of taken away yeah, on the trip like on with trip, them, yeah. but there is enough comedy so that you're not like it's not your grandma's show, you know. I, th- I think in the UK this is a series, and then for the US they edit it together as like a two-hour movie. I I think you're right. And I think so. Do you think that there's anywhere that you can just see the series then? I've tried and I think you can buy it on Blu-ray and DVD, but it's not, it's region specific. So you might not be able to watch it. Mm. But anyway, find the movie. The movies are, are, are entertaining. They're really fun. They're I like, really she, she did the, the James Bond exchange, but I like the Michael Caine one. Oh, the Michael Caine. When they both do Michael Caine, it's hysterical. Just look that one up on, on Online. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You'll love it. Yeah. That'll that alone will make you uh, her example and the Michael Caine example will make you want to watch more. Yes, definitely. Okay, moving on. Here we go. I think during these like times of uncertainty, we Wait a all minute. need. Wait a minute. He didn't introduce himself, Alexander. Oh, maybe I didn't tell him to do that. This is Alexander Troxler. Okay. But maybe maybe he's going to get to his introduction. I don't think he does. Does okay, he? so Alex Troxler. Alex Troxler, and he actually is the recipient of a scholarship this year that I started um, in honor of Sean Boxy and Kevin Kilbrew. And once a year, someone will receive uh, free classes and consultations. Alex is great. He's a very talented writer. Okay, now he can. And I've actually met him. He's a super nice guy. He's a super nice guy. So Here we go. go Alex Troxler. I think during these like times of uncertainty, we all need some form of escapism, which is why I think TV and film are so important right now. As far as films are concerned, I think my last really good dose of escapism was probably the photograph. I'm a sucker for romance films to begin with, so this movie kind of just hit everything for me. It was this lovely, warm, chocolate-covered romance film that felt like the 90s, but still had this very contemporary tone to it. Um, And as a writer, what I really loved about the film was the fact that they took, they handled two love stories from two different time periods and let them cross paths in order to have a big reveal at the end of the film. And uh, it made me and my wife just feel good. 
And I mean, isn't that technically the point of movies to say something while making you feel something? And icing on the cake, that soundtrack, whoever did that score, oh my gosh, fire. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> fire. Now, my daily dose would have to be Shit's Creek. I do not watch a lot of TV, but when I do, it is definitely Shit's Creek. Just, li- just listen to the premise. When a rich video store mogul, Johnny Rose, and his family suddenly find themselves broke, they are forced to leave their pampered lives to regroup in Shit's Creek. A sketchy hick town that Johnny once bought as a joke for for his son David. I mean, to me, that's that's just the perfect premise for a TV show. We have the world, we have an ironic situation that gets to unfold and repeat itself, but give us something new every single time. We have these crazy, 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 super spoiled, super pampered, rich people who probably hung out with the Kardashians. All of a sudden, they are forced to go to this small hick town that they bought as a joke. As a writer, I just love the way the writers handled these characters. As a matter of fact, these writers deserve hugs simply because they made these characters so authentic. You could hand me any episode of any script, black out the titles of the characters. I could tell you who said what to who simply because the characters' dialogue and voices and energy are so defined And I absolutely love when a television show makes my writer subconscious compete with my entertainment intake subconscious. And Shit's Creek does that for me every single episode. Well said. That was that was some good stuff right there. With Shit's Creek, I I thought it was so interesting that he said that he could actually hear the voices of the characters. Right. Okay. Hear the voices of the characters and that he would know even without seeing who was talking who who they were like he could really like that that they are so specific really good really good and we started uh schitt's creek and we like it but we just uh we need to jump back in yes we do because everybody talks about how much they like it and i think even somebody else is going to mention it on this show so let's go to the next person all right here we go Hi, Pilar. My name is Ellen Ansui, and I live in Los Angeles. The show that's really gotten us through this pandemic is the Netflix show Call My Agent. It's a French hour-long comedy or dramedy, and we're really invested in it. We love the characters. We love that it's set in Paris. It makes us feel like we're traveling while we're being confined. Um, We don't mind the French subtitles at all. We love listening to the French accent. And it's a great ensemble show. It's a great example for anyone writing ensemble shows because they do a fantastic job of balancing all of the characters' arcs throughout. And it just creates a great... um, investment in all of these characters for us. Um, We also love how the show itself has grown over the three seasons. We're almost done with the last season and we're really sad about that. We don't want it to end. Um, But the show has grown tonally. They've infused it with more comedy and have taken some bigger comedic risks. Um, So that's been really fun to watch too. Um, so highly recommend it. It's great escapism, really beautifully acted and, and well-written. And we love it. Call my agent. We should watch that. Yeah, I don't know anything about that show. That was a very, it sounds like, it's so funny because it, she's from L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, talking about something about the industry. Right. And that was just the background sounds, right, where you could hear 
traffic and birds, mm-hmm. very LA. Yep. You know, that, that whole thing. She's multitasking, for sure. <laughs> we should check that out. What is your favorite show that we've either just finished or that we're in the middle of watching? What is Ozark season two? Because season Ozark season three, Pat's giving me the three. As mm. if it was Ozark season three. Ozark season three. It feels like just yesterday it was season one. Ozark season three. So good. That show never disappoints mm-hmm. ever. And uh, I actually figured out their trick. What figured is it? out their trick for writers. Okay. What okay. Is it? So every character actually has the same arc. So the characters are the husband, the wife, the kids, and a local girl who becomes the husband's business partner. Okay. So those are the main characters. They have the same arc. And it goes like this. There is the discovery of something shocking. There is resistance of the illegal thing they have to do next. Then there's acceptance of the new normal. And then there's a power grab that leads to something even more shocking. And that is the arc of all the characters in every season, okay? But their magic is that they start these arcs at different places in the season. So there's kind of this round going on. Like, are you into rounds? That's a singing thing, right? Yeah. So like row, row, row your boat, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you go row, row, row your boat. And then yeah, I would going. do it. Keep going. Row, row, row your boat gently row, down the row stream. Row your boat. Well, we have really? to be on the same page. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. No, no, okay. I'm not into rounds. Okay. <laughs> I just decided I'm okay, not. Try it one more time. Try it one more time. I can't sing. No, I've got to be on the get to the same key. It was my 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 fault. Okay. Row, row, row your boat gently row, down row, the stream. Row your boat gently merrily, down the stream. Merrily, 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 life merrily, is merrily, but a dream. Merrily, merrily, life is but yep. a dream. I don't right? like it. No, no, it's good because. That's a very simple song, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But when you start them in different places and you put them together, you've got a richer sound, mm-hmm. right? That's yes. why it's fun. And you keep right. layering on more people singing that, right? And you just, it's richer and richer and richer. So imagine that an arc is the same song, right? And now people are just starting it at different times. It's a round of the same arc. So that was my discovery about Ozark because I'm like, why is it always so good? Are they, are they just coming up with brand new things for all the people all the time? No. They they know what the arc is going to be. Right. They're just bringing them in at different times. It's around. It's beautiful. I love, love, love Ozark. And for me with these shows, if you can get, if your season three is good, then, then it's working. Because sometimes for me, some of these shows dip in season three. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah, but I, not Ozark. I, what is your favorite that we've been watching so far? Well, I am just, it's probably my favorite show on TV, and it's uh, its Better Call Saul. Oh, so and good. And as much as I love Breaking Bad, I swear to God, I like Better Call Saul better than Breaking Bad. I really do. I don't know what it is. I just i just love it so much. its I cannot say that. Right. They're, to me, they're very different shows, and mm-hmm. that's why I think Better Call Saul works. Right. Because even though it's a prequel... You and they are incorporating slowly yeah. some of the characters. It's it's got a different pace. It's got a different moral center mm-hmm. to it. I just love it. Oh my god, it's so good, right? And uh, your prediction is that Kim Wexler is dead. 
Don't give that away. It's a prediction. It is. It's, a, it's, it is we don't know anything. It is a prediction. But you, I think that at the end of every season, and then but I, I just want to. I just yeah. want this out. I just want it out there <laughs> in the world so people know where I'm coming from. You don't think Kim is going to make it through the next year's the the last season of Better Call Saul? Yeah, I don't. And think... And you don't think Kim don't is going to make gonna it? Make it? I don't think she's going to make it. But. But it would explain a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's an incredible character. Mm -hmm. And another thing Better Call Saul does so well is it takes its time. Yes, I love that, though. Yeah. Now It it doesn't – it takes its time, but not in a way – in which you're bored because right. you're never bored. It, what, one thing it does share with Breaking Bad is when a character has an idea, like they're going to stop a bad guy, they do it in a creative way and we see every single step yeah. of it. And it's, it, it's fascinating. It's great. Now, my prediction is that Kim Wexler was around the entire time we've been watching Breaking Bad. She was just unseen. No. And she's she's around. She's still alive today. I bet her and and Jimmy McGill have some kids, and that's the way it is. She's dead, baby. She's no way. Dead. Yep. No way. Yep. I, well, it's, it's out there now. But I, I do. Okay. Okay. It's yes. out there. It is out there. Okay. So moving on. Here we go. We got four more. All right. Let's go for it. Hey, Pilar. Recording this from my uh, doomsday bunker here in L.A. I rewatched the movie The End of the Tour recently and wanted to send it in for you guys to talk about. There's this one scene in particular that I wanted to talk about, and actually just one line in that scene. The movie in general is kind of this long dialogue between this Rolling Stones reporter and, and David Foster Wallace. Again, I wanted to talk about this one line in particular, and I'll, I'll let it play right here. That's not what if I'm we saying. had done this by the mail, if I had access to my library, if I could look stuff up, my dream for this would be for you to write it up, send it to me, and let me rewrite all my quotes, which right. of course you'll never do. <laughs> but if I'm in a room by myself, alone, and I have time, I can be really smart. Yes, I think. Now, what I love about that line, that if I had access to a library and could look stuff up, my dream would be for you to write this up, send it to me, and I get to rewrite all my quotes. I mean, if that isn't just the dream, if I could only have, you know, the agency to rewrite how what other people think of me or whatever it is that I, I wanted to fix. It kind of reminds me to just trust in the revision process. Everything can get better. And I think that's something that, while being a maxim that we hear all the time, I always think of this line when I'm thinking about revising something and, and knowing that with time and with effective research, I can tell a good story about something. And the other positive thing that this this quote always reminds me of is that if you want to tackle something and sound good doing it, go out there and get your research done. Really know something. And that's an ongoing process, too. You can go into your library. You can go get those books. You can go revise your script and make it more accurate, more specific, and just better. So there it is, out of my head and into this microphone that I'm recording with. Bye. And just so people know, that was Sean Vaccaro. And I know that. I recognize the voice. Uh, Sean Vaccaro uh, is, came out here, gosh, I forget how many years ago, just a couple of years ago. And he said, hey, I'm a fan. Could I watch the podcast? And he ended up watching a an Oscar podcast with all of our grumpy <laughs> yes, friends. Yes, I remember. Yes, yes. And then ended up being in classes and writing groups. Very, very strong writer. Thank you, Sean. Um, David and, Foster Wallace. It actually made me uh, get the book that 
uh, is, is talked about in the documentary. Um, Infinite on, on, Jest? Yes, on Kindle. So I'm going to start that. And that movie stars Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. Interesting. 2015. Interesting. All right, let's move on. Okay. Hi, this is Elena Zaretsky from Los Angeles. Hi, Elena. My vote for the quarantine show to watch would be Schitt's Creek. Hey. Um, it's so fun, funny, heartwarming. And I have to admit that it took me three tries to get into it. I watched the pilot twice and just kept thinking, this is not for me. It's just a poor little rich girl story with really annoying characters. And then some people that I trusted who I really respect their taste said, no, no, you really have to give it a chance. So I did and got deeper into it. And man, have I fallen in love with the Rose family. Um, And the reason I pick this show is I think from a storytelling point of view, this is really hard to pull off to have very quirky, very self-interested characters who still manage to get closer as a family and who we still find ourselves rooting for, um, even though they've managed to maintain most of their um, selfish ways. And yet um, I've grown to love them anyway and root for them anyway. And I've grown to root for their town and the quirky characters around them just as much. So that's my pick, Schitt's Creek. And for anybody who is wondering if the name sounds familiar, Elena Zaretsky, um, and if you've ever consulted with with me, um, she is the person who also books my script consultations, but she also happens to be a wildly talented writer. Of course, she's sold, I think she's had, uh, recently she's sold to Hallmark. Um, She has two scripts. Um, one I think has pr- produced and another is going to be produced in the spring. So thank you, Elena. Good job, Elena. We've got a, yeah, we have to revisit Shit's Creek, right? We do. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't stop watching it for any other reason than we just stopped watching it. Right. And we never got back to it. Yes. So let's do it. So yeah, we will. Okay. After we finish Seinfeld. No, no, I'm so glad your Seinfeld binge is over. As much as I love is Seinfeld. It? Is it over? I love it, but it was your third time with the Seinfeld binge, and it was, I didn't know what was happening. Oh, Lainey. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. Hi, Pilar and all. This is Alan Jenkins. I'm in Montclair, New Jersey. One of the shows that is helping me get through this, to my surprise, is Dickinson on Apple TV, which is a fictionalized version of the life of a young Emily Dickinson. I know, I know what many of your listeners are thinking. Ugh, another period piece with petticoats and whatnot. But this show is not that. It is funny and contemporary. It has a hip-hop soundtrack, and they find ways of weaving in diversity and social justice topics. I highly recommend it. So Dickinson on Apple TV. Have a great writing week. Oh, look at him stealing our tagline. There you go. There you go. Alan, um, Alan, another spectacular writer, um, has been on this podcast actually um, because uh, he, oh, look at his name. He's just, he's he's like a, a big social justice activist, lawyer and currently a professor at Harvard Law School. And we had an interesting discussion when he was on the show, even though we had technical problems. He's awesome. That, that's, uh, that's no small resume uh, that he yeah. has. Oh, my gosh. He's, he's that's a big amazing. Time. Amazing. And he's a great writer to boot. 
Um, so I would like to check out that show. That sounds really cool. Dickinson. Dickinson. Yeah, I think that Ezra would like that. Well, let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. I give it three minutes. <laughs> and if it doesn't hook me, I'm out. <laughs> All right. We have one more. Okay. Let's go for it. I hope they introduce themselves. Okay. Hi, I'm Marissa Bramwell, and I'm based in Santa Monica, California. One of the shows that is keeping me entertained during this quarantine is my favorite show, Frasier. I absolutely love Frasier. It's such a smart show. And as a writer, I think my favorite thing to do is to watch Frasier without actually watching it just sitting there and listening to the dialogue and watching the story play out in my mind, kind of like a radio drama. I've learned so much about how much information can be conveyed in super tight, quick dialogue. And I think that's so important as a writer, because sometimes we like to just tell too much information and we don't have to. And uh, so that's one of my favorites. Frasier for the win. And then the other show is Love Island. But that's more for the cheesy romance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, a couple Shits Creeks, a couple, couple Frasiers, yeah. a couple Marx Brothers. I know. I know. That's I, what's weird to me is you ask people to do this. Yeah. And we get, we get, we get, a, we get a dozen. Yeah. And people like the same stuff. Yeah. Well, it says something. And also with, with, Unexpected shows. I mean, I would never have thought we'd have two huge Frasier fans. I know because I mean, it's uh, it's nineties, but you know, we, but you I know, never I never thought that our fifteen year old would be binge watching Friends in the Office. Right, so exactly. If it's good, it's good. It's good, it's good. Um, I think also Frasier and Niles are great examples of having characters on a spectrum rather than having them just be opposite of each other. So sometimes when people are creating a cast, they think that. Everybody around the main character has to be completely opposite of them. When instead, they could say, no, what's the extreme version right. of them? And so Niles is the extreme version of Frasier. He's, he's Frasier, at least in the first season, without the heart. Right. You know, he's just completely superficial. He develops a heart over mm -hmm. time. But in the beginning, he's just even... I think it's maybe to balance out... Frasier, so he doesn't look like as pretentious as he is. Right. Um, but anyway, it's 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 uh, those two characters together are very interesting. So yeah. yeah, an unlikable funny character is always just so it's so great. Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, and, uh, and and and, and charming. And charming. Yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, they have to be, or else. You, you wouldn't keep watching. You'd be like, oh, I don't like this person. Exactly. All right. Um, Were you talking about me? <laughs> Were you referring to me? Now hold the phone. <laughs> no, you're very likable, second. honey. <laughs> Even after five weeks in quarantine. Oh, good. I feel like we've God. been quarantined for 23 years. <laughs> 22. 22, 22 in September. It, is it going to be 22 in September or is it going to be 23? 22. 22. But 25 altogether, right? I guess. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Quarter century. Oh. 
when should we do this again and how should we do this again? I want to have more listener participation episodes. I loved hearing everybody's voice. All I will say to people is introduce yourself right up front. And where say and your name where and where you're, you're from. Come, from coming from. Yes. And uh and um I get I, I my rule of thumb with my listeners is about ninety seconds. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. 90 All seconds. Right. Two well, minutes I, max. I guess 90 seconds to two minutes would allow us more people. Would allow so us more people. So I am people. going to open it up to everybody and say yeah. that the first 15 people who send me audio clips of a reading, a very short reading, from a produced script that they love. So what I'm looking for is an action line or a character description that really got you. Okay, you could do dialogue if you feel like it will really translate. That might be a little bit more difficult. You have to be a really good actor to do that. Um, But I just want a very short snippet and why you you like it as a writer. What do you think that it's doing well? So the first 15 people who send that to me at either Pilar at onthepage.tv, P-I-L-A-R, or inquire at onthepage.tv, all goes to the same place, first 15 audio clips that I get. Okay? And so do you want them to say, for example, uh, my name's Pat Francis, I'm from Woodland Hills, California, and the screenplay I have chosen is The Graduate. Yes, please. Something like that. Thank Bef- you for dotting that I. That way we won't be like, what's this? I'm not sure I know what the screenplay is. Exactly. And it could be it could be a movie. It could be it anything. It could be a TV show. Okay? Movie, TV show. Yes. But yes. Not, a, not a play. Yeah, because I think we do talk about about you know scripted movies and tv it's not that plays don't have tons of merit and that we shouldn't have more podcast episodes on them but i think that's we we want the two mediums that you teach yeah yeah and that i think most people are are listening here for to to this show excellent yes i also want to remind people to go to on the page.tv uh, oh, I'm so excited about the way the online classes have been going. So even though you're sequestered at home, why not drop into a class and learn something and make progress on your script? The next the next online class is Rewrite Techniques. It starts May 23rd and it goes through June 13th, I believe. They are four Saturdays in a row. They're from 10 a.m. to 12 LA time, but that should also be a good time zone if you're in the East Coast or Europe. Um, and on the fourth, uh, the fourth class, Lee Jessup will be teaching a class solely on the business side of it. So three classes um, that will help you rewrite, and you can take it at any stage in your writing process. It will make you a, a better writer, even if you're in first draft mode. And the fourth class, which is all business. So sign up for that. Rewrite techniques online. Go to onthepage.tv. Pat, uh, tell people about the Rock Solid Podcast. Rock Solid Podcast is the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. If you want to rock and roll all night and party once a week, My podcast is for you. You can find it on uh, iTunes and uh, anywhere podcasts are serviced. We're on Spotify. And again, it's called Rock Solid. And we just uh, we just have fun. Uh, whenever I get a nice email from someone just talking about my sh- the show, they say that it sounds like just a bunch of guys and, and men and women sitting around in their bedroom in high school talking about the music they loved. 
That's a good way to yeah. describe it. Yes, so everybody check that out. I also want to thank all of the people who contributed to this show. If I had a list of them in front of me, I would, I would say their names. By any chance, do you? No. No, because as I played their clip, I removed it from my playlist so that I wouldn't play it again. Oh, okay. All right. So just... There, you you heard them all. They're all so smart and wonderful. I really appreciate them contributing. Contributing. Thank you so much, writers. I want to thank Pat Francis for being my co-host here, and thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week. 